From KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States, this is program number 13 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create more meaningful experiences or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life to people like me who are totally blind. And to sighted parents who have a blind child, to blind parents who have sighted children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, describing things to people who are blind. The advantages and disadvantages of upper or lower seating on Amtrak superliners. An update on Jason Esterhausen, a man who has a device implanted in his head to help him see how to find wastebaskets in restrooms, and how to hold a party without pressuring people to drink or drink more than they'd like to. I'm standing on the pedestrian bridge over the Colorado River, near my home in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, next to the new $125 million Grand Avenue Highway Bridge. In 2017, when the new bridge over the Colorado River, Interstate 70, and railroad tracks was under construction, a friend, John Gorman, was walking by and also watching the construction. He started describing what was going on to me. Metal from the old bridge was being pulled out of the river, and new pilings were being pounded in. I have sight, and of course I knew you did not. You might be interested in whatever was going on that you could not see. Yeah, I just, you know, just looked at it and told you what I saw. John does the same thing when I'm riding with him, so he knew I'd appreciate knowing what was going on. For many people, describing what's going on around us is natural for them but it's never occurred to others. Lorraine Hutchinson, who teaches travel and living skills for the Colorado Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, is really good at it, not only with her clients, but with her ex-husband, who is completely blind. For example, when we were traveling, before we went, oh. uh, if they had a souvenir shop, I would get a little model of those places, like the Statue of Liberty, and he could have a tactile exploration. And then once we actually physically walked up, you used to be able to walk up to the torch 
he knew just how big it was. So having a little model and actually walking up gave him an idea of what it looked like, the shape, and then just how immense it was. The Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco, California, goes even a step further. For 25 bucks, they'll create a tactile map of any address in the United States and in some other countries. Key maps is that you can actually get a physical representation that you can explore tactilely. You know, it's easier to build that mental map of your surroundings when you can actually touch something as opposed to just trying to construct it in your head from verbal descriptions. The maps are not only handy for finding the relationships of things like the Statue of Liberty to the things around it, you can also use them to learn more about your own neighborhood or have one for blind guests when they visit you. Frank Wilty is in charge of the Lighthouse's tea lab. You feel the streets because they're tactile lines that you can feel. So you can, you can then identify the angle at which they cross each other, whether you have a, a neighborhood that's your traditional downtown grid pattern, which is very common, or if you have more of a suburban area where the streets are curvy and they meet each other at interesting angles, or you've got several streets coming together rather than your typical intersection. So it's a good way of getting a sense of how your neighborhood is laid out. And of course, if you're traveling and you want to get an idea what streets are in the vicinity of my hotel, then you can get that. In certain circumstances, you might want to see other details. For example, if you want to zoom in and see just a block or two and see where the buildings are on the block, then that you could get a version of the map that would do that in a tactile form. Lorraine Hutchinson says sometimes, instead of models, you have to use the real thing. She uses as an example a little girl she was working with at a school for the blind in New Zealand who had only experienced apples that had been baked into desserts. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go to the store and see if she knows where what an apple is. And I picked up a potato and she said, that's an apple. And I said, no, this is a potato. Uh, so. We went over to the Granny Smith, a nice fresh smell, and I picked one of those up and she could smell that it smelled like an apple, like what she ate, but that was the first time that she'd actually held a round apple. Remember that someone uh, who perhaps was born without sight may be able to verbally describe something to you in for in this case what an apple is because that's what they've learned in school but don't assume that if you took them to a store that they'd actually know by touching something what an item is because concepts development spatial awareness all of these things especially for kids that have never seen have to be taught at an early age they just don't happen. It's polite to ask people if they'd like you to describe things to them before doing it. When you travel on Amtrak superliners, you have to make a big decision, even if it's only for short distance. Superliners are Amtrak's two-level train cars used on some of their long-distance trains. 
the decision is if you're going to sit upstairs or downstairs, there's a huge difference. If you have trouble climbing steep winding stairs because you're in a wheelchair or have trouble climbing stairs, the decision's already made. Downstairs is convenient. Your passenger seat and luggage will be close to the door on the train. You'll also be close to a handicapped in conventional restrooms. But your view of passing scenery won't be nearly as good as upstairs if you have enough vision left to enjoy it or have a sighted traveling companion. You won't be able to walk to the dining car or snack bar, but Amtrak employees will happily deliver that food to you. If you sit upstairs, you'll have the optimum view from your seat and a spectacular view from the observation car that you'll be able to walk to from your seat. But you'll be separated from your luggage which will still be accessible to you downstairs along with restrooms. One of the best things about Amtrak compared to buses and airplanes is that it's very social if you want it to be. You meet people from all over the world. There's a rare chance if you sit downstairs that you might be the only passenger and it can get lonely. If you sit upstairs, you'll be able to walk to the dining car where you'll be able to sit with five other interesting people, at least after COVID-19 restrictions. Amtrak's long-distance trains are frequently delayed, sometimes for many hours. So it's a good idea to plan your schedule so you have an extra day in case you arrive to your destination late. On program number seven, Jason Struther reported on a man in a test study for a device implanted in his skull to help him identify his surroundings, who had a potentially very serious problem. As a result of COVID-19, the manufacturer was looking at applying for bankruptcy, leaving the test subjects up the creek with these things implanted in their heads. Jason reports things are looking up. It looks like Jason Esterhazen will have a Merry Christmas after all. Oh. The device name is Orion Cortical Implant by Second Sight Medical. We resumed um, the FDA feasibility study in the beginning of September after a six-month break due to COVID-19, the pandemic and such. So we're back in full swing, going for weekly testing of the device and refining the device. So the implant is... is obviously will always be there. It's inside my skull. It's all encapsulated, closed. There's no wire sticking out on the outside. And then I have an external device, which is a pair of sunglasses with a video camera mounted in it, tiny little video camera mounted in the center of it. And then it's got an external coil that lays on top of my hair that wirelessly transmits the video image into my br the implant in my brain, and that then creates the vision, the artificial vision. Jason says, despite the uncertainty earlier this year, he's glad he stuck with it. If I wear the device, I'm able to identify things around me. I can, if, uh, if I'm walking outside, I'll be able to maybe see if someone's approaching me, you know, from, from the front. 
I'll be able to see, okay, something's coming towards me or something's walking away from me. Um, I'll be able to see signs next to the road. I won't be able to read what's on them, but I'll be able to identify objects, um, big objects, contrasting colors, like say um, if there's painted lines on the street, I'll be able to follow the lines across the street. So yeah, there's a multiple uses or ways that I can use a device. It's just every scenario is different. If I'm inside a building, I'll be able to identify if the lights are on in a room or maybe I'll be able to find a doorway, see if there's windows in the room. So you just have to learn how to use the device and interpret what you're seeing because what I'm actually seeing is just a uh, a, a pattern, patterns of light, little dots that are flickering that are the fast beams that are being projected into my brain by the device. The technology is evolving so rapidly that there's hope for the future that maybe one day there will be a device that you can go and have implanted and it will give you a form of functional vision again. So, yeah, just... Hang in there. It looks like the Orion has potential, but we'll have to see if it does much more than echolocation, which we talked about on Tactile Traveler Program number 12. Thank you, Jason and Jason. One of the biggest problems facing blind folks is finding wastebaskets in public restrooms because they can be any size, shape, and a long ways from the sink. Phyllis Chavez has a tip you might find useful. Dr. Alan Hirsch is the Neurological Director of the Smell and Taste Treatment and Research Foundation, Chicago. He is one of the top smell and taste experts in the world. Theoretically, an individual can actually learn to localize a garbage can based on the smell of wet, wet paper towels. So it, what would happen is if they continue, if they are exposed to smell of wet paper towels and sniff it and learn that smell, and then when they go into the washroom and note that odor being stronger in one area than another, they have a good, will give them a good idea of where a garbage can is. At home, you can just take a, a paper towel, uh, put, uh, make it a little moist, and then bring it right up to your nose and sniff it 10 or 20 times, and then go go away and come back 15 or 20 minutes later and sniff it 10 or 20 times. Uh, and then uh, do it a third time until you begin to recognize what that smell is. And after you've done that for a few days, you'll be able to, to, to recognize that smell in all sorts of locations. And then you'll have an idea of, of what where a garbage can might possibly be. I would hold it in your hand and bring it right up to your nose because what you're trying to do is you're trying to tell the smell, recognize that smell, and you want to be able to, to have a really good impression of it so in the future when it's in the far distance, you can detect it. Remember, it's easier to determine what a smell is based on a long, deep sniff. So if you're, in, if you're in a place and you're looking for the garbage can, take a long, deep sniff and see if you recognize that paper towel smell. Dr. Hirsch says it should be really easy to teach your guide dog to find wastebaskets. Thank you, Phyllis. Some of us here at the Tactile Traveler and some of our listeners 
are going to learn to smell wet paper towels and increase our independence. If you try it or teach your guide dog how to do it, let us know how it goes. Send us an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Please include your phone number, country, and time zone. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. A problem facing people both blind and sighted during the Christmas and New Year's holidays are parties hosted by well-meaning folks where the host or hostesses pressure their guests to drink when they don't want to or to drink more than they would like to. They do it by continuing to refresh your drink when you don't want to drink more. Because that's how we've been taught to be a good host or hostess. Because of the coronavirus, we're not encouraging people to have parties over the holidays. But since we know people will be having company, and someday things will really go back to normal, we have some tips on how to hold a party without pressuring people to drink, or to drink more than they would like to. People feel less pressured to drink when they serve themselves. So when you greet your guests, say, welcome. This table has alcoholic drinks on it, and this table has non-alcoholic drinks. Serve yourself. Delfina Rodriguez teaches home management at the Colorado Center for the Blind in Littleton, Colorado. I think anytime you have a party, the simpler, the better. Not only for blind people, but even for sighted people. So, this is the thing with options, I get overwhelmed anyways. So if I have maybe a sweet and sour and a Coke or a Sprite to choose from, then that's easy enough for me to mix up a Sprite or whatever you want. Delfina says you can keep things even simpler by only serving packaged drinks. We're very familiar with what a bottle of beer feels like compared to a bottle of wine, compared to a bottle of soda. We have to keep our social distance while socializing and serving others. Since most dining room tables are at least six feet long, and most rectangular folding tables are six or eight feet long, you can have drinks on one end of the table and have guests waiting to serve themselves just wait at the other end of the table. Since we can't see how much we're pouring while mixing drinks, we have to find another way. I usually do it by pouring liquids over my finger. I mean, everybody's got their own technique, but if that works, that works for me. Like I, so I do a couple of things. So I'll, um, I'll pour over, or I don't necessarily pour over my finger. I put my finger in my glass kind of close to the um, top of the rim so I can feel it when it gets close enough but then also I do this little technique where I this sounds weird I bounce my glass up and down a little bit so I can feel the heaviness of it and it's pretty easy even in with plastic cups like a lot of times you can feel so if you if you pour it in something cold you can feel that on the outside of your cup as well as it kind of creeps up the side a little bit so I think there's a few things you can do whatever works for the guests works for them you know not everybody's the same since everyone would be touching lots of things in the process of serving themselves, Delphina figured out a great way to keep things clean. So if we're talking of Verona, oh, there's so much we could do and say, and you're never going to get as clean as you really want to be. I would say simple is better. So 
have everyone throw on a pair of those really cheap plastic gloves. You can get them pretty much anywhere, and they're very inexpensive. You can just throw on a pair of those before, you know, have it sitting at the beginning of the table, and then everyone just throws on a pair of gloves, and they're easy enough to feel the liquid too. Like if you need to touch the inside of your glass to see where your liquid's at, then it's easy enough to feel through those gloves. But I mean, that's a cheap, easy way, you know, as another option. You'll find that separating alcoholic drinks from non-alcoholic drinks and having guests serve themselves will not only reduce pressure for guests to drink more than they wish, they'll drink less, which will save you a whole lot of money. And I'll drink to that, but I'll pour my own, thank you. Before wishing everyone a Merry Christmas, we'd like to give you a little background on who we are. We are all volunteers and range from 13 to 81 years old. Everyone who's on the ear is blind. Jason Struther is from New Jersey and works as a freelance reporter based in Seoul, South Korea. Phyllis Chavez and Lydia Eckert are both retired and live in Littleton, Colorado. Liz Campbell is a full-time reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram in Fort Worth, Texas. Miranda Lowry is a graduate student in anthropology at Oxford University, Oxford, England. And Simon Bonifant is a high school senior in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The sighted crew are Sarah Williams, who transcribes our programs for our deaf and deafblind listeners, I, so far, haven't been able to learn Braille. So Sarah's mother, Debbie O'Leary, and 13-year-old daughter, Sophia Williams, along with Chris Mitchell, read my scripts to me a couple of words at a time, which I repeat and then edit together. Lorraine Hutchinson, who is my Voc Rehab White Cane instructor, has also transcribed some scripts and is a great source of story ideas and sources. Lucas Turner and Hannah Hunt Moeller help with audio editing and audio engineering. Raleigh Burley, who is program director at KDNK and said, sure, we'll run it, when I suggested the show. And everyone at KDNK who has been unbelievably supportive. I produce the program and do most of the audio editing. From all of us, we'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas and for 2021, a Happy News Year. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. If you'd like to underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. 
Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the Tactile Traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following people and organizations that helped make today's program possible. My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support and Apple Accessibility Tech Support. Hannah Hunt Moeller, Lorraine Hutchinson, Chris Mitchell, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Mark Magalieri, Dennis Sumlin, Cesar Los Canos, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.